0: So we are in Ephesians chapter 1, and we just finished verse 14. I know you guys are saying that was a long trip, it was, but we made it through. And I think it's important for us to maybe back up a little bit, read through, and get a running start into what we're going to look at. So let's start in verse 1, we haven't done that in quite a while, and we're just going to read through. Hopefully none of you think it's sacrilegious, I'm going to sit on this stool. And tell you a funny story, just real quick. I knew that they were going to be having the praise and worship night. I thought it's not going to be so formal, it's going to be much more casual. And so I texted Zach and I said, Hey, what do you think about untucking our shirts on Sunday? He said, Let me ask my wife. Shirts are tucked in. All right, so. Verse 1. Followed apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things on the earth In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise Of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I have gone through the book of Ephesians. And I have marked 111 things that are either true of us now or we now have the possibility to do because we are in Christ. Now this is only six chapters, but there are 111 different things. And so if you have this paper that we were passing out, I wanted to put in your hands just the first 16 because the first 16 are all things that are true of you and of me. Does anybody not have the paper? Wow. Where's Zach? Oh, man. Gene. Can we? Mike, yes. Wow. Treasures galore. What you are receiving are 16 things that are you. If you are someone who has come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have responded to that good news by faith, this is true of you. It's who you are. You might say, I don't feel like I am any of these things. That's okay. It doesn't change the fact that you are. I understand that I'm slightly annoying. I don't feel that I'm slightly annoying, but it doesn't change the fact that I am. Everybody see how that works? Okay. This is in the positive. Okay? Here we go. Look at this. First, we're saints, holy ones, set apart ones for God, is what it means. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Number three, we've been chosen in Christ. Number four, we've been chosen to be holy and blameless before Him in love. Our choosing isn't just because we're in Him, but it has a purpose behind it. We've also been predestined to the adoption of sons, and we've been predestined. According to the kind intention of his will, we've been predestined to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, what he did in us in placing his sons is because it made him really happy to do so, and in doing so, we're going to be objects of his glory that are going to shine for others to respond and worship because of the grace that's been exercised on us. That's incredible. That's amazing to think that you and I are objects of grace that will spur on heavenly rejoicing. It says here we're also, number eight, recipients of his freely bestowed grace. We've been redeemed through his blood, forgiven of our trespasses, forgiven according to the riches of his grace. His grace has been lavished on us. The fact that the mystery of his will and the dispensation of the fullness of times in which All things will culminate in Christ Jesus, so the millennial kingdom. It is the kind intention of his will to give us wisdom and insight into this matter. He wants you to know this fact, this reality. Number 14, we have a portion or lot been given to us in Christ's future administration or dispensation that was predestined for us. We've also been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and we are God's possession awaiting future redemption. With all this, that's all just true. That's all just God giving because that's what He does. That is what grace is. God's infinite favor upon people who are ill-deserving. Now, why do we go through that? Because verse 15 shifts the conversation and builds. Verse 15 says, For this reason, what reason? Right here, all the above. Because God has so graced you in Christ. Look what he says. I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Now pause there because I know it's kind of weird in the middle of a sentence, but we got to stop and we got to deal with that. The amazing thing about the group that he was writing to, and remember this. Could be addressed directly to the Ephesians, but chances are it was a circular letter that was sent out and was passed around for everybody. Everybody would write in their own name as far as who it was because the contents are so general, but so applicable to the church in any age. There's very few details as far as personalities that are given in this. But notice that they're characterized in this region of receiving this by two things. The first thing is faith. Now, here's what I don't think he's saying. I don't think he's saying, you guys are believers, right on. I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think he already understands that from the previous 14 verses. You don't call somebody a saint if you're questioning whether they're going to heaven. So what in the world could he mean by that? What happens when you're hearing of someone's faith? You get excited, well that's the response, but what exactly do we hear about that? Your actions, what God's doing in their life. The Lord is leading you in directions that make no sense to the world. You're believing it and you're following it. Way to go. You are living counterculture because you're living according to the truth. You are living anti-satanic because you're living according to the truth. So, Man, that sounds kind of harsh. Has anybody figured out who runs this world? Right now, it's in his possession, and he's doing with it what he's allowed to do. Only for a time. Only for a time. When Paul hears about these people, these believers, he gets excited. You guys are going for it. You're living it. Your life reflects a constant leaning into the Lord Jesus at all times. And not only that, It's bursting forth in love for the saints. How do you know whether or not you are in fellowship with Jesus? Chuck preached on this, the difference between relationship and fellowship. Someone who doesn't know the Lord, they hear the gospel, they believe, they're brought into the family relationship with the Lord because of what Jesus has done. But now the question is, is will we draw near to him, grow in intimacy with him, and develop fellowship with him? enjoying the relationship that we have with him. They're experiencing love, agape. It's the idea of selflessness being exercised with no expectation in return. It's loving because Christ has so loved us, and therefore we are conduits of his love to one another. How do we know we're in fellowship with one another? Here's a question. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Notice I'm not saying you're not saved if you don't, understand. You're probably sitting there and you're like, you know what, such and such robbed me the wrong way in the parking lot. I don't love them right now. Okay. That's a first John one, nine moment. It's okay. We all experience that, but we also wrongly hold on to it longer than we should. We're all united in Christ. This cross is what pulls us together and his blood is what binds us together. And his promise is what makes sure that we're all going to end up at the same place together. So from an eternal perspective of that, these people are exercising faith, makes no sense, but they're living according to it because anytime you're walking by faith, it doesn't make sense to the world. It's because it's according to the truth and the world hates the truth. But they're also exercising love. There's something of it of which they are giving joyfully. Now that's enough to make you rejoice. and Paul does so. But what's interesting is is where he turns, this situation. Look at, let's read 15 again, we'll do 16 as well. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, look at this, do not cease giving thanks for you. Pause there at the comma. Ceaselessly thanking God for people. Pause for a second and ask yourself the question, who is that in your life? Who is the person that you are constantly saying, God, thank you for this person. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these believers. Thank you for this ministry. Who is that for you? You might come to a point right now, you're thinking, you know what? I'm searching my mind. I can't find anybody that I'm thankful for. Don't feel bad. That's a really great realization to be at. You know why? Because it tells you where you need to start praying. Lord, who are the people in my life that I need to have a God-wrought thankfulness for and come to you rejoicing because you've allowed for our paths to cross? There are brothers and sisters in the Lord who are absolutely amazing. We'll never meet them until we're in heaven. But for some reason, God has seen fit to so orchestrate our history, our timing, and our geography in such a way as to where we would come across one another. You guys didn't think you'd get a little slice of Kentucky every week, did you? Hopefully you're better off for it. Hopefully it's not too bitter in your mouth. But it's a joy to know one another in the body of Christ. It's a means for being thankful. Sometimes when we get the humdrums, oh, woe is me. It's just gloomy and doom. Stop and look around. Look around at the brothers and sisters that you get to be thankful for. Look who's speaking into your life. Look who's sharing amazing God things that are going on. He would never tell this, but he should have. I'm going to call him out on it. Kenny popped into my office this past week and told me some wonderful, beautiful things about how God has set up relationships for him to share the gospel and get involved in discipleship relationships. And I'm just sitting here like, salivating. Because it's good stuff. And when he walked out of my office, I said, thank you, God, for Ken Crejon. Just for the simple fact that he cares enough about people to look beyond whatever the matter is at hand and ask the crucial question, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Those are eternal eyes. Those are a redeemed perspective. That's a demonstration of both faith and love. If I get beyond the superficial, and if I get out of my box of just wanting to be left alone, God will use me. It's every reason to rejoice. Now I'm going to say some things now that you're not going to agree with but I'm going to say them because they're biblical. I know that sounds weird. I didn't believe it until I was exposed to it, but it's true. Look at verse 16. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Giving thanks and prayer is not the same thing. You may give thanks in your prayers. But prayer is not giving thanks. Prayer is asking of God. How do I know that? And we're not going to touch it yet. But in verse 17, because it's next week. Because there's so much there. There was so much there, I was tempted. Let's just go for it. I know Kenny and Jim were going to be up here for three hours. But... <laughs> Try, trying to do what I can to work with the body. It's okay. Some parts of the body go long. Usually it's me. I get it. It's okay. Just kidding, guys. Good. I was expecting Kenny to give me a look. It's okay. But prayer's not the same thing. Prayer is asking. You've ever heard of a man named John R. Rice? He was an evangelist way back when. He pointed this out to me, and ever since he pointed this out to me, I can't unpoint it. Prayer is asking of God, whether it be on behalf of yourself or whether it be interceding on the behalf of somebody else, of which Paul is doing, in verse 17, and we will see that this happens again at the end of chapter 3. So I want to show you some things to look at this, and then I'm going to ask you a crucial question. Praying is asking. Let's see this. Go with me to Philippians 4. Again, what's going on in here? It's too much. We can't get forward in Ephesians until we look at this because we would be here for a long time. And we have new members class today. Ephesians 4. If you've struggled at any moment in your life with fear or anxiety, this has been a verse that you've found to be a Linus blanket for you. And there's everything that's okay with that because that's what it was meant to be. But do we understand exactly what it's saying? We know what it guarantees. But look at four six. Be anxious for nothing. You know what that means? Not one thing. We don't need to get freaked out about one thing in our lives. And I know what you say. <laughs> yeah. And why is that? Because anxiety has become so commonplace. Is this not how this world system is set up? Who here is busy? Who here is really busy because you're before God and all of heaven right now and you need to testify truthfully? Everybody put your hand up. Stop playing. It's serious. And why is that? Because Satan runs this world. Satan loves the art of busy. Satan loves the art of busy because busy creates anxiety. And even when we get rid of the busy, guess what? He's already got you on the anxiety because he'll make you busy about the things that aren't true. Isn't that incredible? And we just buy right like fish. Just gone. We do it. So Paul addresses it with these people, this church. Don't be anxious for one thing. Okay, Paul, what should I do? But, In everything by, what's the word? Prayer, there it is. By asking and supplication. Now, what's interesting about the word supplication is that is making a request to God, so it fits in with asking, but the idea is urgency characterizes it. Get with him. I mean, you're already anxious. Why don't you just get anxious about praying to him? Get urgent about prayer and bringing this before him. Lord, take this away. Now, watch what happens with what? Thanksgiving. Everybody see that Thanksgiving is not prayer? Thanksgiving is the attitude of which is to coat the asking. But it's not prayer. Prayer is the asking. The attitude of Thanksgiving has to be with it. Let your request, that's petitioning the Lord, asking of him again, notice he brings it up, be made known to God. What's the guarantee? I don't have it up here, but you know verse 7, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in christ jesus that's the receiving verse seven is the receiving but the asking and the asking with the right attitude of thankfulness god is telling us how to get out of that situation how to deal it's very practical it's very applicable well pastor that doesn't always work stop you just said that god is a liar You just said that He doesn't work in the way that He's plainly told us to do it. The problem is not with God. And the problem is not with His Word. Well, is there something wrong with me not asking? I love you, but must be. Because it's the same with me. Because when the anxiety is strangling me out, and I'm having a hard time getting away from it, I usually recognize that I'm not too thankful at that moment. Why? Because emotion has got a hold of me. The facts are not up front, it's the feelings. And I'm so blinded by it. I'm just trying to grasp for whatever there is. But here's what I'm not doing. I'm not employing this verse the way that Paul has clearly said. Don't be anxious for anything. It's a command. Pray. Urgently pray. Pray with an attitude of thanking Him and make those requests known. It's almost like he said, pray. Pray urgently. Pray a lot. And oh yeah, be thankful. Everybody see that? Praying is asking. We too often neglect prayer. We too often neglect praying the way that God has told us to pray. We pray about a lot of things that are not what God has asked us to pray about. And I think what we will see as we walk through this shortly, quickly, is that there's some reforms that need to be done in prayer. That it's not going to hurt us at all. In fact, it's going to be for the better. It might kill ego a little bit. Well, this is the way I pray. These are the things that are important to me. Stop for a second. What does God want us doing? He wants us asking. Turn with me to Matthew 6. The reason why this is important is because He actually teaches on prayer. The disciples never asked Him to teach them anything except, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so He said, fine, when you pray, let me show you how to do this. Verse 9. Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. word hallowed. We get the same word as sanctify, holy, set apart. Word, This is an address, right? Hopefully nobody sends a letter without putting who it's to at the top. That might be a little interesting who that gets to. But we address it to God look what it says verse 10 your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven does everybody see the asking what's the first thing he asks what no not your will be done your kingdom come which tells me that the kingdom is not here and we should be asking God to bring it do you realize that God is saying hey guys pray for the end of the world I love that Like, yeah, end it. Notice that we're actually being encouraged to ask of him to bring in the reign of Christ. Then notice the second thing that he says Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth, where it's not being done, as it is in heaven, where it is being done. Everybody, see that? Everybody's like, Well, how could you say that Satan's running everything? Because God's will is not being done here in the fullness that it is in heaven. What's the solution? Jesus says, pray about that. Ask God to make it so. Notice, it's not just the introduction of an eternal regime. It's also the overhaul of all the riffraff that we see going on now. I don't mean to use such choice language, but that's the best I got to say in church. What a mess. What an absolute mess. It's like donkey slobber. What is going on? Anybody ever look at this and be like, it makes you want to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus knows, he gets it. Look what else he says to ask. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We are to come and we are to ask the Lord about the daily provision that he gives. We're to ask him to provide. Look what it says after that. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We're to ask for forgiveness. For our debts. Why? Because we, notice how conditional this is, because we have taken a position of being forgiven to those who owe us or have wronged us. Lord, I'm coming before you, asking for you to remove the multiple offenses that have come before you and have created some problems in our fellowship because I am taking the initiative as your child to forgive those people who have offended me in like manner. It's asking. Look what it says after that. Verse 13, And do not lead us into temptation. That's caused a lot of problems for people. But look what he's going for. But deliver us from the evil one. Let me put it in our terms. God, please keep Satan away from me. There's nothing wrong with that. And you're not charismatic if you pray it. You're actually a Biblicist. And that's what we should be. Lord, Keep the evil one from me. I'm asking for my father to get involved in the street fight. Anybody ever get in a fight as a little kid and your dad got involved? Let me tell you a story. My grandfather made me this wooden sword. He loved to just play around, make all kinds of things. He was, he was the jack of all trades guy. And he made me this sword. And fun, 11, 12 year old me decided I would threaten some of my friends with this sword. Because I'd been out there sharpening it on grass and weeds, and I saw Conan, so I could do that thing, right? Anybody see that? That did not go well. And they chased me and chased me. And I ended up about three miles from home. I ran so fast. And they were looking for me. I had to actually. I could tell you, but you wouldn't understand, but I was in places I didn't even know where I was kind of trusting that I was going to get home at 12 years old. It was a little scary. And I ended up there and I finally was able to sneak in to my house through the back door. And I called my dad and said, oh my gosh, all these guys are after me. I'll be right home. And man, when David Edmondson got home, it was on because and it was like a good half mile. He walked with me down to this kid's house, and he didn't knock. Well, he knocked, but he knocked with his foot. Boom! And we didn't say this back then because it was the 80s, but I'm like, it's getting real, right? I thought, oh my gosh. The kid who was threatening me, his big brother came he's like, what the, what's going on here, you know? And he looked at me and he goes, is this the guy that was messing with you? And I said, no, that's his big brother. He's like, well, where is he? And this guy came up. And he looked at me and he goes, Jeremy, you're the same height as this guy. I was like, oh man, now I'm in trouble. And I'm like, you don't understand, Dad. He's psycho. (sighs) Which is a real good thing to say in front of the guy that's mad at you at the moment. Getting your dad involved. I won't tell you how that ended. Use your imagination. But it's another thing to get your dad involved. To get your heavenly father in and saying, take the evil one out. Ask that of him. Now, we don't have a lot of time, but here's the question. Are these things that we ask, God? A lot of times we say, thank you for this food, right? That's kind of what we got. Sometimes we say, good Lord, good meat, let's eat. That's sacrilegious, repent, okay? By the way, Dave Edmondson lit me up for saying that at the dinner table one time. That's another story. That was a good time. The food did not taste the same. (laughs) Anyway, do we ask these things? Lord, as I've sought to live forgiving for today, forgive the things that I've allowed to come in between us. Because that needs to be repaired so that I am completely in sync with you. Lord, the evil one is out to get me. If you're a believer in Christ, he already switched sides for you. So you might as well just go ahead and slapped a big target on your back and said, shoot here. Recognize that. Because Satan doesn't care. And he will destroy everything he can that you're clinging on to for righteousness sake in order to try to desecrate the word of Christ. Lord, keep me from the evil one. Lord, I'm tired of this life and I'm tired of this society and I'm tired of the way things are run. Bring your kingdom. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a godly prayer. Let me show you this last thing here just to finish it up. Look at chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 7. All of these imperatives that you're going to see here in this verse, they're all in the present tense in Greek, which means they're to be continually done with fervency. Look what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Or, if your marginal note, you look over there, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Have we ever wondered that sometimes we get disgruntled that prayers aren't answered is because we gave up? Well, ask God. How many times you talked to him about it? Two? Okay. Just want to make sure where the issue is. Because if that's the case, and I know this bothers some of you, I can see it in your eyes. But if that's the case, then maybe the Word of God is meant to do an overhaul, a makeover in our prayer lives. In fact, James tells us in chapter 5, You don't have because you don't ask. Sorry, chapter four. The reason why you don't have is because you don't ask, because you're not repeatedly coming to him. Now, I'm not here to bash you about your prayer life, but what I'm saying is, is if we're recognizing what we ought to be asking for and we're seeing the problems that keep those things from happening, and that's the reason why God might not be answering, then at least we're seeing the solutions. Let's fix it. Let's put some sort of mental reminder of, you know what, I asked a couple of times, I need to ask more. Maybe the problem is, is we're asking for too much and it all gets befuddled. That doesn't surprise me because that's characteristic of busyness. That's exactly what Satan would want. Why are you only asking for two things? Ask for 20 things. Let's be honest. Can you remember 20 things to repeatedly bring to the Lord? I know I can't. I'm confused what socks I got on right now. I don't even know. I had to check now. I was like, I really don't know. (laughs) Where am I? Pick one or two things. Ask. If we keep asking, what does it say? It'll be given to you. If you seek, you will find it. If you're knocking, he's going to open the door. But we got to keep knocking. Look what he says here, verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, it will be opened. The continual action is what guarantees the result. One guy said it this way, the key to answered prayer is never giving up in asking. Don't give up. And let's be honest, culturally speaking, we are a society that has been trained to give up and just get. Settle for less as long as it meets the superficial need. Christ is calling us to greater. Keep asking. He wants to give it. Do we really want it? I tell you what, if we keep asking, we might sometimes recognize that it's not what we ought to be asking for. We should have been asking for something else. And He will bring us to that moment. But notice in verses 7 and 8, He says, If you do it, He'll do it. If you do it, He'll do it. If you keep doing it, He will do it. It's guaranteed. Look what it says in verse 9. Here's an example twofold. What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Caleb, have you ever said to your dad, can I have some bread? And he's like, here's a rock. There's a dentist trip waiting to happen. No. How about the nest example here? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? I hope not. Then look how he sums this up for our understanding so that we can get in the thick of it. If you them being evil, man, that hits us because he's talking to the apostles. He's talking to his disciples. And what does he mean by that? By being carnal, by being worried about superficial things by being more of this world maybe and our thoughts and expectations on things, if this is the way that you handle your life and you know by instinct that when your child asks for something that your heart just bursts in saying, I want to give you everything I possibly could to meet this unsatisfied, messed up position that you're in and supply that need and make that happen. If that is the yearning that a parent feels for their child when they come to them for these basic necessities, look what he says here. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your who? Your Father. Let's remember who God is. He is your Father. He is the one who is inviting you continually to come. He's asking for you to get closer. His heart wants nothing more than a conversation. How much more will your Father, where am I at? Your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who, what does He use? Ask Him. Praying is asking. God wants us asking. God wants us asking continually, persistently, habitually. Don't overwhelm yourself with it. Single it out. Maybe the asking needs to start with, God, what should I be bringing before you so that we can see this here? There's nothing wrong with that. You're open to being led and learn. Praise the Lord. There's so many people like, I've been asking for this Ferrari for 20 years. Nothing's ever happened. That's not His will for you. He doesn't want you to have it. He knows that when you get it, it would be sin. Is it sin to have a Ferrari? No, it's not. But it might be sin for some of us. Because we know it would easily remove our affections from Him. And all we care about is polishing a fender rather than asking of our Lord. He's our Father. What is it that we need to ask God Single it out. Boil it down. And then make a commitment today. Set a reminder in your phone. Let's use those devilish things for something good. Set a reminder three times a day. I need to bring it to you. I need to bring it to you. I need to bring it to you. It's time to bring the asking to the Lord. Type that in. It won't hurt your thumbs. Let's see it happen. And then let's wait in anticipation. Why? Because God's Word tells me if I ask, I will receive And it tells me that if I seek, I will find. And it tells me that if I knock, He's going to open that door. So why not trust Him and just do it? Let's pray. I ask, Heavenly Father, in each one of our lives that You would single out the thing that needs to be brought before You on a continual basis whether that be the open doors to share the gospel with someone, whether it's needing your intervention in a medical need. Maybe it's the heart's yearning to be healed in some way. Maybe it is an asking for the evil one to be kept at bay. Maybe we find ourselves in the thick of his clutches and we need deliverance out of that. Maybe it's being shielded from a bottle and delivered out of that. Maybe it's the repairs to a marriage. Maybe we're just waking up and recognizing that we don't really look at you as our Father. Maybe we'll recognize that when we inventory our prayer lives, we don't really trust you. Maybe we find that there's more of self in our asking than faith in our asking. I don't know that we can undergo any type of reforms for that because the flesh profits nothing. Nothing. But we do know that you are the God who is able. You are the God who is powerful. There is nothing too hard for you. You are able to do abundantly beyond whatever we could ask or think. And that's what prayer is. It's asking of you. So, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who are debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but please deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.